There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Paul wrote these words to the people living in an area called Galatia a long, long time ago. And they're really quite extraordinary if you think about the culture at the time in which women basically had no rights at all. Frankly, I've never understood patriarchal societies, patriarchal churches, patriarchal communities of faith, inequality of any kind between the sexes, nor have I understood limiting the role that men and women can have in any setting, even in churches. I have to say that I am who I am because of the women in my life. Women have shaped who I have become in every area of my life. I've been blessed not only by an extraordinary wife and daughters and, of course, a son, but I have been taught and mentored by astonishing women over the course of my life. This, in part, is why I've always loved the book of Esther. What an extraordinary, heroic, amazing woman she was. Now, our reading this morning is from the book of Esther, and it comes from the weekly lectionary. And we don't always read from the lectionary, but as many of you know, the lectionary is a group of readings put together so that hopefully churches all over the world are reading the same thing. And so this, in some ways, is kind of Esther Sunday, which I think is great. Anyway, Esther's story is about a woman, a woman of courage, guts, and in fact, doing the right thing, even when the consequences of doing so would be catastrophic. And as I've been thinking about Esther, which I'll get to in a moment, there's so many stories of amazing, courageous women throughout Scripture, so astonishing, in fact, that it's unbelievable to me. I just don't understand why any church would not have women at the top of leadership, including the Roman Catholic Church. What on earth is up with that? Or churches in this valleys that do the same. Many of the greatest leaders and passionate followers of God and engagers of bold action in the Bible were women. Take the Samaritan woman at a well in John's Gospel. She was a foreigner and part of a despised religion, and yet she does not run away in fear from a man called Jesus. Instead, she engages him and questions him and takes the news of who Jesus is to men that disparage her. Take Deborah, an amazing leader at a critical time who was instrumental in military victories. Military victories that freed the people of Israel. Take Hannah, who boldly prayed to God over and over and over again and dedicated her son to God's service. Take Abigail, whose husband nastily rejected a request from King David. And it was Abigail who intervened in this situation with tremendous courage to keep King David from making a really stupid mistake. Take Mary, the mother of Jesus, who praised God in spite of the surface odds against her. Take Ruth, who put commitment and integrity ahead of personal interest. And little known, take Mala, Hagla, Milcah, and Terzah, women who went to Moses over a land distribution issue. And as a result of their courageous, brave actions, the rights of women in that era were expanded, unheard of at the time. And with these and so many other stories like them, I want to take a look at the story of Esther. It's a short book. I commend it to you. 
but I want to just give you the, the, the Cliff Notes version of the story so we can glean from it today. So about 500 years before or so before Jesus was born, there was a fellow named Ahasuerus who ruled over 128 provinces from India to Ethiopia. Now many people identify Ahasuerus actually as a fellow named Xerxes, and I'm really glad because Xerxes is a heck of a lot easier to say than Ahasuerus. Anyway, Xerxes was the king of Persia, and Persia was massive. It went from India to West Africa, to Greece, up to Turkey. It was huge. And at the time, there were a variety of capital cities, and one of the capital cities where the king's palace was was a place called Susa. And over the years, in fact, archaeologists have made lots of discoveries in the area, including the remnants of a large palace. And what was once a grand palace in an amazing city called Susa is now a mound of dirt in Iran. There's a sermon in that right there. Not in reference to Iran, but what we built goes away. Well, anyway, King Xerxes was married to a woman named Queen Vashti. But things didn't end too happily. In chapter 1 of Esther, we find these excerpts. Seven days into a big party, and Xerxes liked to party. If you read uh, Esther, there are parties all over the place. This guy really liked to party. But one version of the Bible says this, The king was high on wine. He ordered his servants to bring Queen Vashti in her royal crown. He wanted to show her off because she was beautiful. But Queen Vashti refused to come, and the king lost his temper. Well, the king then immediately consults with his advisors. What should I do about Queen Vashti's refusal to come to me? And the advisors say, well, you have to do something, because if you don't do something, men all over the empire will start to have trouble with their wives. Then he said to them that wives will take the queen's actions as an encouragement not to do what their husbands want. Wow, pretty amazing, isn't it? Anyway, the king heeds the advice he's given, and so he banishes his wife, Vashti, and he issues an order that women must honor their husbands. On top of this, the king orders his staff to go out and find him another queen. So he begins the search process. And eventually, a woman named Esther is brought to the king. In chapter 2 of the book of Esther, it reads, The king fell in love with Esther, Far more than any other woman, he was totally smitten by her. He placed a royal crown on her head and made her queen. Some context. It's important to point out that long before any of this happened, when Esther was a young girl, she was raised by her cousin named Mordecai because she had no parents. It's also important to note that Esther and Mordecai and their entire family were Jewish, and Xerxes didn't know this. Well, after the marriage and Esther became queen, a man named Haman came into a position of power in the government, and because of his position, and particularly because of his enormous ego and self-absorption, he requested, and the king said, okay, I'm going to order that everybody in the kingdom bow down before you, Haman, when they see you. Everyone in Persia complied with this order that we know of except for one person, Mordecai, Esther's cousin who raised her. Well, Haman and his ego were wounded, and so he was mad. And he finds out that Mordecai 
is Jewish. And so he comes up with this terrible plan. He goes to King Xerxes and he says, you know, King, there's an odd set of people scattered throughout your kingdom. Their customs and their ways are different from those of everybody else. They are an affront. We should not put up with them. If it please the king, let orders be given that these people be destroyed. And by the way, king, before I decide to approach you, I cast lots to determine the date that we should eliminate these people. Now on a side note, casting lots in those days was kind of like throwing dice. It would give you an answer for something you were looking for. And the ancient word, the ancient Persian word for lots is pur, P-U-R. I'll be back to that in a moment. Anyway, Haman laid out the plan before King Xerxes and the date it should happen, and the king said, sure, we'll go ahead and eliminate all these Jews. And so the king wrote an order that all Jews in Holocaust fashion should be destroyed and eliminated en masse. The king even decided to build gallows on which to hang Mordecai. Mordecai, Esther's cousin, who angered Haman so much because he would not bow down before Haman. Well, when he issued the order to kill the Jews, he had no idea that his beloved Queen Esther was Jewish. He did not know. Surprise! And when Mordecai, again the fellow who raised Esther, heard about this order, he goes out into the streets and cries out. In fact, all the Jews in the kingdom lamented. And the news that all the Jews were to be killed one day reached Queen Esther, and she was terrified. And through a series of communications, Mordecai convinces Queen Esther to go to the king to change his mind about this awful order. And there was a rule at the time, however, that nobody could go before the king unless the king requested that person come before him. If a person came before the king without being asked to do so, execution was the penalty. Despite considerable risk in doing so, Esther approaches the king, the king relents, and the Jewish people are saved. And not only that, the best part of the story, the king is enraged at Haman for all of this, and so he orders that Haman be hung by his neck by the very gallows that were prepared for Mordecai. Now there's a lot to this story. There are so many layers and nuggets to take, and I just want to focus briefly on three takeaways for us in the year 2018 from this story that is thousands of years old. Surprisingly, God is never mentioned in the book of Esther, not once. Yet here we find the book of Esther in the Bible. Interesting, isn't it? And although God is never mentioned, it is clear to many people over the centuries that God is not only present and involved, but present and involved throughout the story of Esther, despite God's on-the-surface absence. In other words, one thing we can draw from the story is that God is acting even though God is not mentioned. And God is acting even though it's not explicit that God is doing so. And I think it's great to think about our own day that God is acting even when people aren't mentioning God. And this is alone is an invaluable feature for us to think about in our own lives, and it's something great to think about when times are tough. Well, I have been blessed by feeling God's hand in the midst of something, 
terrible, there have been lots of other occasions going through something terrible where God felt something ab- felt totally absent. And I take solace from the story of Esther. Esther's story with God's absent, apparent absence can serve as an encouragement and a reminder to each of us that God is present and acting regardless of how present or absent God seems to be or whether or not God's even mentioned. God was all over the story of Esther. And God is all over whatever story you and I are living in the middle of right now. And I believe the book of Esther is in the Bible in part to remind us of his truth. God's all over our story, whether or not his parent God is involved, whether or not God is even mentioned. And I think for those of us here today who have concerns about people we love because they don't turn to God, they're not interested in God, they don't speak about God, this is a great story that despite all of that, God's still acting in their lives. Whether or not that's known to them. And I think that's great news. But there's more to glean from the story. Remember that Mordecai asked Esther to go to the king and plead with him to change his mind about the order to kill all the Jews. Esther gets back to Mordecai and she says, Mordecai, if I go to the king without being asked to go before him, he might kill me as it's the custom for those who do such a thing. I'm terribly afraid. And Mordecai sends a message back to Esther. His message is very simple. Esther, perhaps you were made for such a time as this. Perhaps you were made for such a time as this. Esther, despite the potential consequences, despite her fear, despite all the stuff going on with her head and her heart, heeds her cousin's request. She sees the moment and by doing so changed the course of history for an entire people. And while you and I may never be confronted with a moment in which we change the course of history for an entire group of people, are we not daily confronted with moments in which we can affect the life of an entire person, let, our, let, let alone ourselves? at least for a moment. And I believe that the book of Esther is in the Bible in part because God wants us to think about the possibility that we were made for the exact moment we are in right now. What if we were made for the exact moment we're in right now? What if you and I are here at the chapel at the end of September 2018 at this point in time for such a time as this? I really pray that you and I will keep this phrase for such a time as this forefront in our minds each day, no matter what we're faced with. When things get hard, maybe I'm made for such a time as this. And when we think about the challenges around us and even our heartaches that we're in the midst of, we'll think of, maybe I'm here for such a time as this. And just as God equipped Esther with the gifts to make it through, God, I believe, gives us what we need to make it through such a time as this. Now, this does not mean that God caused bad stuff around us. God didn't cause uh, Haman to make that stupid decision. God doesn't cause the bad stuff around us in our lives. But rather, when we're in such bad places, God equips us to persist and endure, as was the case with Esther. You and I are here for such a time as this. What might be God saying to you and to me about God calling us to respond to something around us or within our own lives for such a time as this? 
I'm going to mention something briefly. It's extraordinarily painful, but I believe the following illustration is in my own life represented of something that represents for me for being made for such a time as this. I'm not going to get into detail or specifics. I'm not even going to mention who it is, but I do want to say that somebody in my family or extended family was sexually assaulted. Horrible. And as is the case in America today, it was he said, she said kind of thing. And we know what district attorneys and police do with that, don't we? Over the years, I've taken my pain and realized that God was calling me to get involved. And so I joined the Response Board in Aspen. Response is a nonprofit organization that responds to the rampant I use that word intentionally. The rampant incidents of sexual assault in this valley, in Aspen, and in Snowmass Village. The rampant sexual assault. Yes, I got involved response because I decided to take the words in Esther seriously. I was created and made for such a time as this when sexual assault is not dealt with as God would have us deal with it. God did not cause the sexual assault of my family member, but here I am in such a time as this with God-given insight and sensitivities that enable me to do something about it. And I believe the same is true for each of you here today. Where is there pain in your life right now? Where is there challenge in your life right now? Where is something that you are afraid of right now in your life? Where God might be saying to you, you were made for such a time as this, and I will give you what you need to make it through. Now act. Finally, there's something else to the story. Remember the story, Haman came up with a terrible plan to kill Mordecai the Jew? Remember that Haman cast lots, like throwing dice, to determine the date that the killing should begin? Recall, too, that the ancient Persian word for lots is pur, P-U-R. It's where the celebration of Purim comes from. P-U-R-I-M. Something celebrated by my friends, my Jewish sisters and brothers every year. Purim is a time of great celebration, a remembrance of the time in which the Jews were saved by God and not killed as Haman had wanted. Now, during the annual Purim celebration, to this day, participants hear the story of Esther, read through. They give gifts away, elaborate gifts to people, money away, and they celebrate joyfully and wildly. It's a holy party where people wear masks and costumes. Makes total sense. Purim is about celebrating life itself and deliverance. It's such an important festival. I love what an Orthodox rabbi writes about the celebration of Purim. He writes, Purim is the time we remember to break out of our boxes. I love that phrase. Purim is a celebration, not only to celebrate our liberation from being killed, but Purim is to remember to break out of our boxes. And so maybe this story of Esther is a reminder to each of us that we too are called by God 
to break out of our own boxes, whatever they might be. And we're all living in a box of some sort. Boxes are those things that limit us, hold us back, confine us, diminish us, limit our ability to live joyfully and freely. And God wants us to live joyfully and freely. Boxes are those kinds of things that narrow and confine our thinking. God is not a God of confinement, but of liberation. Remember that always, a theme throughout Scripture. It's not confinement, it's liberation. Our journey with Jesus is about being liberated to be who God made us to be, whoever that is. Too many of our fellow Christians try and constrain what liberation looks like. I refuse to do so. God's response to us, God's response of liberation is told in the story of Esther is break out of your boxes. Break out of your boxes and live with courage. So to wrap up, Esther's story is a great story. I believe it has so much to say to us. God is all over our stories. Even if there's no mention of God, or it feels as if God is absent, just as God was all over the story of Esther. You and I, I believe, are not here by accident. We are here for such a time as this, whatever that is. And God has given us what we need for such a time as this. And our faith is about liberation, not confinement. And if your faith is confining you, turn it around and seek liberation through Christ. These themes are powerful and wonderful things to ponder and act upon. And I pray that each of us are going to think about these three things today and find out where it's rubbing in our lives and what we need to really be paying attention to. And one more woman I want to point out. It's on the cover of the bulletin. What a heroine she was. You know who she is, right? Who is she? Rosa Parks. Thanks be to God for Rosa and all the other women like her that have blessed our lives. Amen.